You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry at First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today we're going to continue our series on Daniel, and we're going to look at the authenticity of Daniel chapter 8. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, we have been going through the book of Daniel, and we went through chapter by chapter, and we come to an exciting uh, chapter today, and I'm excited to share it with you. There's so much in here. I've got a lot to share in a short time to do it. And I've thought about how to introduce this this morning and several things that went through my mind, but I want to introduce it this way. You know, this week something pretty significant happens for us here in America. It happens every two years or every four years. It's election day. This Tuesday, you're going to get the opportunity, if you're over 18, to go and vote. Elections, I'm always happy when it gets over because I I don't like hearing these politicians just offer these empty promises over and over and over again. My rule about politics, if I'm going to mention it from the pulpit, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk bad against both sides. Let me just tell you my experience with politics. I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1983. The first presidential election I ever remember was George Bush Sr. And I I vaguely remember him getting elected. And I don't know if it was when he was running against Michael Dukakis or if it was later and they just played the soundbite. But I remember vividly, it was in 1988, George Bush said those famous words, Read my lips, no new taxes. Well, guess what? There was New Texas. And I don't remember much about the Clinton years, but I do remember this. I remember the President of the United States looking square into the television screen saying that he did not have relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. But guess what? He did. I remember Barack Obama. I was not his biggest fan, but I'll be honest with you. I watched with hope. I had hope watching this first African-American president seeing thousands descend upon the mall, thinking that if anybody in all of American history, if anybody could bring races together, if anybody could bring unity, surely it would be this man. And yet, years later, even during his administration, I see more racial division than ever before. I also remember seeing him at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren saying flat out that he believed marriage was between one man and one woman, something that he went back on later. Then I remember Donald Trump. Donald Trump, a different type of character. Y'all would all agree with that. And I remember him saying over and over again, we will build the wall and Mexico will pay for it. Well... He might get another term, but four years, the wall's still open, immigrants are still coming in, and to my knowledge, Mexicans not, Mexico's not paid for it. And then here we are today, we've got one group saying the economy's really not that bad, and when I go grocery shopping, I see something different. And I just share all of that with you because I've seen all this growing up and we get to a point, we see the people that we should trust the very most, the leader, the leaders of our country. And we we see Republican and Democrat alike. Can we trust anybody? Can we trust anything? And I think that gets us to the point where we're at today. Like during the pandemic, y'all all heard over and over again, trust the science, trust the science. Well, trust what science? 
Trust the science that says that, that a fully developed baby in its mother's stomach is not a person. Trust that science. Trust the science that says to wear a mask or not wear a mask because there's science on both sides. What do I trust? I read a poll this week. And this is what I think it all gets to. And while we're at this point today, because of television and social media, we've all seen this stuff. 60% of Americans under the age of 30 do not believe in absolute truth. We go back in time. I don't believe Barack Obama was necessarily lying whenever he promised unity. And I don't believe that George Bush was necessarily lying. I don't think he wanted new taxes. But that leads us to think that truth is an individual thing and there is no absolute truth. So I'll, that brings me to Daniel 8 today because Daniel 8, you all have an opportunity today to witness that there is indeed absolute truth. There is, we have access to a document that contains absolute, 100% infallible, inerrant truth. We're going to continue in prophecy today. And Daniel here records his second dream. Prophecy for Daniel, but all of it, every bit of it is history for us. All, all that we're going to read about came true with amazing accuracy. In fact, because of its accuracy, it's caused some to speculate that it had to be written way after the fact. It couldn't have been written during Daniel's lifetime. But we know that can't be the case because there's other sources, and I'll share that with you in a little bit. So my hope today, my hope today is whether you're on the fence about whether or not to believe this Bible. If you're on the fence, if you're looking for truth, I hope you'll leave today knowing that this Bible is true. I hope you'll leave today, and I hope you'll go into the voting booths Tuesday if you go. And before you choose whatever candidate you choose, I hope you'll make the decision today to choose Jesus. And I hope you'll look at Daniel's words in chapter 8 and have it settled in your heart that God's word is abundantly, abundantly true. So I'm going to do it the same way we did last week. I'm going to go through it and then I'm going to finish with some application points. So it starts in Daniel 8, uh, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel after the one that appeared to me the first time. So that's important. It's a different vision. It's not the same as he saw before. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shusan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ula. You'll recognize this, this city as the same one that, that Esther was in. Verse 3, Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. Verse 5, And I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male, grew, the male goat grew very great, 
But when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. So let's talk about what Daniel's seeing here. Thankfully, we don't have to imagine too much about what this represents. You see a ram in verses 3 and 4. And we know that this ram with two horns represented the kings of Media and Persia. How do we know that? Because the angel Gabriel told him that in verse 20. But also from history, we know that a ram was a fitting symbol for the empire. According to historians, the Persian ruler carried the head of a gold ram when he marched before his army. This text means that the, the Medo-Persian Empire would become large and powerful. And we know in history that that did occur. More territory was controlled by this empire than by any other until that time. But Daniel didn't just see a ram. He also sees a goat. Who is the goat? And once again, we know that the goat is Greece. And we see Gabriel identify this in verse 21. We'll read that in a second. And the prominent horn is Greece's first king, which, of course, for you historians, that's Alexander the Great. And the great details that, that he writes about, and we could see this in history, when he talks about him coming from the west, that points to the position of Greece, which was west of the Medo-Persian Empire in Palestine. Crossing the whole earth means that Alexander conquered the world of his day and the goat speeding across the globe without touching the ground. That portrays the swiftness of Alexander's conquest. That's something that was special about him. During his time, and he, only, he was a young man, but during his time he carved out an empire of 1.5 million square miles. Alexander, man, he was, he was a man on a mission. He took the whole world over quite literally. And then in verse 8, you see that the horn was broken. And this is something interesting. You would expect a military man like Alexander the Great, a conqueror, to die in battle or to die in old age. But what ended up happening to Alexander the Great, he literally conquered the whole world. There was nothing else to do. He was having a party with his buddies. And it's, we're not sure exactly what happened from history. But after this party that he had, he died a week later from a simple, a simple sickness. He was only 32 years old. And it's a reminder of the day that no matter how great you get in your own eyes or how great you'll become, there's still one greater than you that holds your breath in his hands. So, the Lord's horn was, was broken, just went away. There's four notable ones that comes up, it says, at the end of verse 8. Well, what happened after Alexander the Great? You go read in history, you'll find that after a period of infighting and struggle, the empire came to be partitioned among four Greek military leaders. That would be the four prominent horns. They're commonly designated as what's called the Dadachi or successors. Now here's when things get interesting, starting in verse 9. We see again a horn, and we read about a horn in chapter 8. So let's read verses 9 through 14. It says, And out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. 
He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, when you read this, one thing you need to remember it's interesting to me that Daniel's seeing this, and where Daniel's at right now, the, the temple hasn't even been rebuilt. It lays in ruin. And at first glance, this sounds a whole lot like the Antichrist that we read about and that you're familiar with. But remember last week, remember last week, that horn came out of the old Roman Empire. This horn comes out of Greece, so it's not him, it's somebody else. And all scholars agree, at least everyone that I could find, agrees that this little horn represents the eighth ruler of the Greek Empire, Antiochus IV, otherwise more commonly known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Antiochus, he may not have been the Antichrist, but he most certainly was an Antichrist. We know from history that, that this man, he was a horribly cruel man. And he really did prosper in all he did. He viewed himself as a god. In his period of power, he slaughtered thousands of Jews. He desecrated the temple by setting up an altar to Zeus and sacrificing a pig on it. Can you just imagine the audacity of a man to go into God's holy temple, set up an altar to Zeus and sacrifice a pig on it? We have a question here about 2,300 days. What does that mean? How, how, how can we know this? Well, once again from history, we know that the, the 2,300 days refers to how long it would be till the temple would be cleansed. Well, we know the precise date of when the historic event happened, when the temple was cleansed. Just after three years, after Antichius set up the altar to Zeus, Judas Maccabees cleansed the temple and rededicated, rededicated it on December 25th, 164 B.C. Today, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication to commemorate this momentous event. It's on Christmas. And you'll find, if you go read in John chapter 10, verse 22, you'll find that Jesus Christ himself participated in the Feast of Dedication. It's a really interesting story. When they light that menorah, there's nine candles. And whenever the, the temple was rededicated, the story goes, everything was in ruins. There was only enough oil for one day. So they fasted and they prayed. And miraculously, the menorah was able to stay lit for the full eight or nine days. But anyway, we know when that happened. If you count back from whenever this all started to that day, you'll come up with 2,300 days. God's Word is absolutely accurate. So that's Daniel's dream in a nutshell. Now, Daniel has his dream interpreted a little bit further. And let's see how Gabriel interprets it. In verse 15, it says, Then it happened, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, 
and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulah who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of indignation, for at the appointed time the end shall be. The ram which you saw having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn is that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its, not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. It's amazing to me, and we can look back and we can identify how all this came to fruition. Basically, what we just read is just a rundown of what we've seen before. We see the kings of Media and Persia. We see this king of Greece come in. He overtakes it. There's a, 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 an insight here, though, that causes us to, to kind of question. And it's in verse 19. It says, for at the appointed time, the end shall be. Well, what's the end? The end of all time or just the end of, of this persecution until the temple is reconsecrated? I think this is a clue that it's actually showing us two endings this will be how two things end i'll share with you that in a second in verse 25 talking about antiochus it says that he'll exalt himself in his heart he shall destroy many in their prosperity he shall even arise against the prince of princes but he shall be broken without human means once again, the Bible ringing true, we know that Antiochus died just simply falling to the ground in regret and anguish. God just took him out after the temple was rededicated. So what is it? Is, is it more than just one thing here? Because when you read it, you'll start seeing that this sounds a whole lot like a future figure that we're all waiting on. It sounds a whole lot like the Antichrist. And I'm going to tell you, this is Brother Kevin's take on it. And you don't have to believe like Brother Kevin, but this is my take on it. Your Bible that you hold in your hands is divided into two sections, right? It's got the Old Testament and the New Testament. What you're reading here and what we know happened with Antichius Epiphanes is exactly really how the, the earthly side of the Old Testament ended. 
You can read about this in the apocryphal books, in the 400 books before Jesus was born. When that temple was destroyed, that's how it happened. But I think in also this, there's, there's kind of a law of double fulfillment. I think you also get a picture of exactly what will happen one day when the Antichrist comes. The, the, the similarities between Antiochus and Antichrist are just everywhere. First off, you know, between this week and last week, they're both symbolized by horns that started as little or small at the beginning and then they got great. Antiochus was a stern-faced king, then the Antichrist will have an imposing look about him like we read in chapter 7. Antiochus was a master of intrigue. And the brilliance of Antichrist is suggested in the eyes of the horn in chapter 7. It gives us a clue, the ability to, to offer solutions to the world's perplexing problems. That's probably how the Antichrist is going to rise to power. Antiochus had great power. You see that in verse 24 here. And we also know that the Antichrist will one day have great power. Yet it says right here in verse 24 that it wasn't his own power. It was the power of Satan who controlled him. And this same satanic inspiration will be the reason, it was the reason he attempted to destroy God's people. And the Antichrist, he's going to be energized by Satan as well. Antiochus destroyed thousands. Antichrist will destroy even more. Antiochus prospered for a short while. His days were numbered. And Antichrist, he's going to prosper for a short time. His, name, his days are numbered too. Antiochus persecuted the saints. Antichrist will oppress believers. Antiochus was a deceiver. Antichrist will be the master deceiver. Antiochus was proud. He called himself Epiphanes. That literally means the illustrious one or God manifest. The Jews hated him so bad, they gave him the nickname Epimanes, which means Antiochus the madman. But Antichrist, he'll be one of the most arrogant individuals the world has ever known. Antiochus blasphemed God. Antichrist will blaspheme God as well. Antiochus was not killed by human hand, nor will the Antichrist be. And by the way, when you go read in Matthew, I think it's chapter 18 in the, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And that sounds almost exactly like what you see happening in history with Antiochus. The parallels are just everywhere. I think you get a picture of not only what has happened, but what will be. I love reading Daniel chapter 8, and it's so interesting to read on this side of history. And it is tempting to read this and say, man, there, it had to have been written after the fact. How could Daniel have known about Alexander the Great 200 years before the man was even born? How could he have known about the temple being consecrated or, or, or destroyed or about the, the abomination of desolation? When the temple was lying in ruins. And the simple answer is this. Either it's just incredible, incredible coincidence. Or God's word is absolutely true. So when we leave here today. Three things I want you to keep in mind when you leave here today. Number one, I want you to just really trust in God's word. That's what tonight's going to be about as well, by the way. Is trusting in God's word. Daniel 8 shows us that we can trust in God's word. It really is infallible. It really is inerrant. 
We should read Daniel 8 and understand the power of God's holy word. And we should live by the book. We should be a people by the book. It's just incredible to me that these words were written 200 years before Alexander the Great was even born. God knew exactly how all this would play out. Church, it just astonishes me that we as Christians, we would believe this Bible. We would believe this is true. And we don't spend any time in God's word. We don't come to Sunday school. We don't study by ourselves. We believe the political ads. We'll believe what's said at the the DNC and the RNC. And we neglect God's word when we see over and over and over again. God tells us how it's going to play out. Now, I might not understand everything. Daniel didn't understand everything either. But man, shame on me for not digging in to the one place, the one place that I can find truth. It's not from my lips. It's from God's holy word. You can believe it. You can trust it. Get in the word. A second thing we see from this story, and I think it's so powerful to realize this today. If ever there was a day, realize this today, that God uses even pagan kings to accomplish his will. Look, Alexander the Great, he was a bad fella. He just was. He was a warrior. But you know, through Alexander the Great, he was able to to join the world together, make them come together under, under roads and systems and infrastructure and culture. They were even united in a language called Koine Greek, not just any Greek, a Koine Greek. And because of all of this, it was a perfect, perfect environment for the gospel to spread, for Jesus to come. As a matter of fact, the Bible you hold in your hand was translated from Koine Greek thanks to Alexander the Great. God uses even the most pagan kings to accomplish his will. That should put our mind at ease about who's in control. No matter who's in power, we know who's in control. Whether it's a president you voted for or against, God's working behind the scenes in a way that's far greater, far greater than we'll ever understand. Daniel 8 helps me sleep easy at night, knowing that whatever human, whatever human holds political office, God's in control. So yes, vote. Protest, share on Facebook, do whatever you want. But church, I'm telling you, don't lose sleep over it. Because guess what? God is working it out in a way that only He can. He's doing something behind the scenes so great that none of us can even imagine. And thirdly today, I look at Daniel's reaction to all this. In verse 27, it says, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Didn't understand what he saw, except he knew it was going to be bad. But afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. When we see all this, it's so tempting to get wrapped up in what's to come and to get, to get in anxious and, and worried about different things. And I know Daniel, he's talking about going about King Belshazzar's business. But I want to tell you, as a Christian today... You would be wise just to wake up tomorrow morning and to go about the king's business. One of the hymns we used to sing when I grew up was an old hymn. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. 
Go about the king's business. No matter who's in power, God is in control. How do I live with all this in mind? I'm just going to go about the king's business. Not the president's, but the king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. I'm going to do what he says to do, when he says to do it, how to do it. Well, Brother Kevin, that's a great story, but there's no way, there's no way you can prove to me that Daniel or somebody didn't just write this and add it to the book of Daniel later. But I'm going to tell you, yeah, I can, and I'm going to tell you how. And I'm going to use an extra biblical source. There was a Jewish historian, and maybe y'all are familiar with his name. His name is Flavius Josephus. And Josephus, he writes about the history of the Jewish people. And he recounts about when Alexander the Great was coming in to seize Jerusalem. He writes that there was a high priest, and the high priest, his name was Jadis, the high priest of Jerusalem. And he heard that Alexander the Great was coming, and he was terrified for the people in his city. Once again, Alexander, he kills, he conquers, and he goes on his way. Jadis, the high priest, he encouraged them to fast and to pray. And during that time, Jadis, the high priest, had a dream. And in the dream, I don't know if he was told by an angel or told by God himself, but in the dream, he was told to just open the gates, dress the people in white, and just let Alexander the Great in. Can you imagine how crazy that must have been for Jadis? That would have been terrifying. But you know what? He did just that. He opened the gate. He dressed himself in purple as he was instructed in the dream. Had the name Yahweh on his, on his uh, breastplate. While well, Alexander arrives in Jerusalem and he sees the gates open. He sees a welcome party for him. And Alexander does something surprising. He goes right up to Jadis, the high priest. The high priest tells Alexander about his dream, and then Alexander says this, You know what? I had a dream too. The great Alexander the Great said that I had a dream that I would come to Jerusalem, I would find a man in purple, I would find the gates open, and that this man in purple would tell me that I would be victorious over the Persians. What happened next? Alexander the Great was taken into Jerusalem, where he and Jadis offered a sacrifice to God in the temple. And they opened up and they read Daniel chapter 8. It's an amazing story to me. And you can go read it. It's absolutely true. How do I know that Daniel wasn't written after the fact? Because Alexander the Great literally read about himself in the text. But look, this is what happened to Alexander. He cared about one thing. He cared about beating the Persians. That was all about his life mission. He just wanted to conquer, conquer, conquer. I don't know what Jadis shared with him. But I would have said, hey, Alexander, look, your time's getting short. You are going to be victorious over the Persians. Your nation is going to rise and you are going to do great things. But you need to understand this. You're not going to live forever. And you need to understand the one that holds your life in his hand is looking down at you. Alexander the Great, he didn't care about any of that. He just cared about his earthly mission. He didn't care about his eternity. It's a great reminder this morning that no one, no one is out of reach for God Almighty. Do I believe that Alexander had that dream? You better believe I do. I believe 
that God told Alexander just like he told Nebuchadnezzar. Showed him what was going to happen. No one's out of reach. God's got a purpose for everybody and everything. I just want to share that with you because if God is dealing with you today, you would be wise to listen and be obedient. This Bible is true. God has a plan for everything. That's not just Brother Kevin saying it. That's the Holy Bible saying it, including you. Young and old, God wants to use you in His service. Are you looking for someone you can trust? Are you looking for something you can really put your hope in? Are you looking for the answers to life's problems? The Bible and Jesus offers that this morning. Wherever you're at during this invitation, I just want you to listen. Take a moment and listen. What a perfect song to sing today. Trust and obey. If God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that inspired Daniel to write this, years before Alexander the Great was even born, if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, you'd just be crazy not to listen to Him. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you'll know that you can trust in God's word, that God uses even pagan kings to accomplish his will, and that you'll go about the king's business. Have a great week.